Let me pray before I start this morning. God, I, I thank you for the opportunity to stand, Lord, in, in this pulpit. But God, it's only through and by your grace and mercy. God, in the sacrifice of the cross, that I'm worthy to stand here. And I recognize that. And God, may I never, ever take for granted, Lord, the price that was paid for my righteousness. And the heavy price that was paid to make me worthy to stand here and to speak your holy word. So most of all, God, I pray for your anointing. That these won't be my words, Lord. They'll simply be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Can this be turned down a little bit? This is popping really bad. So we're just coming out of the Thanksgiving season. And we're going into the Christmas season. Which always lends to a time of gathering and being with family and friends, co-workers, church family. and It's a constant reminder that we as people are in relationship. That we as people are in relationship. And whenever we're in relationship, there's going to be conflict. And the closer generally the relationship the greater the conflict. How many of you know that? How many have been in situations, especially sometimes when it comes to our biological families? I mean, sometimes we don't see these folks at times but once a year, and that's at Christmas. And we see them, and we love them, but sometimes we don't like them very much, or they get on our nerves, and we're reminded of that when we see them once a year. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. But how many of you know also applies to our church family? Because sometimes, no matter what, when you're in relationship, there will be conflict. You know, I remember as a young boy growing up at East Durham Church of God and, you know, 11, 12 years old, I used to look at the church folks and I thought, now, I'm sure they never have a problem. I mean, these are God's people. This has to be one step under heaven. This has to be utopia that everything just goes smooth and there's never a conflict and everybody just gets along wonderfully. And I... You know, I really thought that as a young boy. I imagine if you went back and asked many of those children in there, they would, they would assume that as well. And then I came to Bethel and I got into the leadership and I realized that church people have conflict too. Every church has conflict. And fortunately, thank God here, it's very minimal. We have a pastor that is solid. We have a pastor that sets a vision. So we don't, we don't have a lot here as much as you hear with some people. Churches split and they get mad over things and split. But regardless, there will be. I remember as a young officer working in the streets, you could always count that if I worked a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or a Christmas Eve, and Teresa's shaking her head, she knows it's right, the disturbances go sky high. As you get family members together that hadn't been together in a long time, many times alcohol is flowing through there, and next thing you know, they're calling the police. And they're fighting either verbally, and sometimes they're fighting physically. But sometimes, thank God, we don't get to that point yet in the church. But we do have conflict because it doesn't matter whether it's outside or in the church. People have, we're people. People are people. We have our attitudes. We have our opinions. And they run the gamut. And we do. And you see it. You see people that say, well, I think the church service should run this long. and We need to be out by this time. We should do this. We shouldn't do that. And I really appreciate Brother Matt. That music this morning, Brother Matt, was outstanding. Because if there's ever going to be a conflict in the church, you can bet it's going to be in the music. You can bet that. It's, not, it's too loud. It's not loud enough. It's too contemporary. It's not too contemporary enough. And we have our opinions and we have our attitudes. And Brother Matt does just a great job. And 
here is a man, he does it, he volunteers his time to do it, he's got a family and a job, and I thank God for it. But I'm not going to destroy Matt, destroy his ministry or my church because of my attitude or my opinion. I'm going to pray for him and others who are in ministry. There is a perfect church, though. There really is. Mark Rutland described it to me. I was at a conference several years ago. Mark Rutland was there speaking to many pastors, and he described that perfect church. And he was talking to a group of pastors, and he said, you can have a perfect church. You just run all the people out, and then you leave, he told the pastors. And then lock the doors. It's perfect. It's completely ineffective, but it's perfect. Because we still have our attitudes and our opinions. And there's a wonderful example of this in God's Word on the day that two godly powerhouse people had it out. And you know, I've heard many sermons. I've heard a lot about these two individuals, particularly one of them, because one of them was the Apostle Paul. And I've heard a lot of sermons about them, but I don't know that I've heard anybody spend much time on the, fa- on the day that Apostle Paul had it out with someone. Most of the time when you hear people talk about the Apostle Paul, you hear them talk a little bit about who he was and the man he was. So I want to I tell you a little bit about, about the type of man Paul was and who we're talking about that ended up in this bitter conflict. His name was Saul. He was a, member of, he was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish religious ruling class, very well schooled in the law of Moses. And it was his way or the highway. And they even added little nuances to the law of Moses to make sure they could keep control over folks because they were the ruling class. And then all of a sudden, he begins to hear about this Jesus of Nazareth, who his followers were claiming was the Son of God, who was crucified, dead and buried, and rose again. And at that time, they weren't known as Christians yet. They were calling it the way. And these people were following him, and Paul was having none of it. And he sent out people, and they were snatching Christians out, and they were persecuting them. They were stoning them. They were putting them in prison. This man's name was Saul at that time. And as a matter of fact, there was one apostle, a new apostle. His name was Stephen. And they brought him before the Jewish ruling committee, and they started to interrogate him about this new way. And he went off on them. He said, you crucified all the prophets. You killed all the prophets leading up to him, and now you're done crucified the very Son of God. And they won't hear any of that. They drug him out before the ruling council and they got their stones and they had to take their tunics off because they were very restrictive. And they started throwing stones and they stoned Stephen to death. And none other than Saul was holding all those tunics while they stoned this man. And the Bible says, however, that Paul shortly after was going to Damascus out of Jerusalem. And he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me and my people? And it blinded him. And he had to go, and a man named Ananias had to lay his hands on him, and his eyes was opened, and he, and he became the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He's written most of the New Testament. And he went around all over establishing churches. This is usually what you hear when you hear about Paul. And all of his instructions to these particular churches, many of which, most of which we still use today. Most of those instructions we still use today. Matter of fact, all of them. And then there was a man named Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, Paul is often known as bringing the gospel message to the Gentiles. But Barnabas actually preceded Paul in that. He was a a pastor of the church of Antioch. And he was ministering to many of the Gentiles. And some Bible scholars say that Paul was actually an associate of Barnabas until Paul went out on his missionary journeys. 
So here you have Paul, you have Barnabas. These men are well grounded in God's word and who they are in the Lord. And they're close. they got a close relationship. And they actually take the first missionary journey together. And they go around and they go to Greece and then they go up what's what Turkey today and they set up they set up churches. Well, it comes time to go again. And Paul wants to go and he says Barnabas, he says, Barnabas, let's go back. And on the first journey, Mark with the Bible says Mark went with them on their first journey. Okay? And he wants to go again and check on his churches. He wants to go and see how they're doing. So he says to Barnabas, he says, Barnabas, let's go back and check on our churches that we've set up. And Barnabas says, okay, let's do that. And he says, let, Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. And that's where we come to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. I want to read to you. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all towns where we preach the word of God of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and did not continue with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of our Lord. So there you have it. Paul says, let's go back and check. Barnabas says, okay, let's take Mark again. And Paul says, I don't think so. And, you know, I think sometimes, and Sister Carol's mentioned on this, we think that the, when I, and I, I'm guilty of this, when we read about people in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, we think there must have been something in, different about their DNA that made them do such incredible things for God. But the reality of it is, since the fall, man hasn't changed that much in our thoughts and our opinions and in the things that we struggle with. Now, the things that condition our thoughts have certainly changed. Our climate has changed. But whether it's Paul or whether it was Barnabas, whether it was all the apostles, they were men with attitudes and opinions and the way they think things ought to be, and they had their shortcomings, just like we were. They just had a rugged, unwavering trust and faith in God. That's what made them who they were. But these two men were powerhouses. And I think sometimes when we read that somebody had a sharp disagreement in the Bible, we, we think, well, we're back to like I was thinking as a 13-year-old boy. That it probably went something like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't take him. Well, I think we should. I, I don't think that's how it went. I really don't. I, I'm going to add a little lib here. I think it might have gone something like this. I think Barnabas might have said, let's take Mark. And I think Paul might have said, are you crazy? He, he left us last time. We took him one time. He's a quitter. He bailed on us. And I imagine Barnabas said, well, some man of grace and God you are, some Christian you are, I mean, you're out here spreading God's love and forgiveness and all, and you won't even give Mark the benefit of the doubt. And I failed to mention that Mark was also Barnabas' cousin, so you're dealing with family. What do you mean you can't take him? And that probably went back and forth. These men might have got toe-to-toe. I'm not carrying him. Well, we need to carry him. He helped us. He left us last time. We got halfway through this. The Bible don't say why he left, but he left. And I'm not carrying him again. So if you want to take him, you go by yourself. And the Bible said that's exactly what happened. Barnabas took. Who did Barnabas take? Help me. John, John Mark. That's right. Who he was fussing over. Paul took Silas and they went and they split. And they split. And they went out to two separate regions. They had a conflict. 
And they didn't resolve it right there. A little bit later, I'll tell you what ended up happening. What happened with these two men of God? But I said all that to say, there's going to be conflict in our relationships. And I got a few things I want you to think about when we deal with conflict, because we're going to deal with it. And number one is this. Forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. It's a command. And it's hard. And I want to add this. Much of what we do for the kingdom of God, church, we're not going to do because we feel like it. We're going to do because we're commanded to do it. I think we live in a world today where we run on feelings and emotions. And if I don't feel like it, it must not be right. And if I feel like doing it, it must be right. That's not the case. That's not the case. We don't make our decisions on emotion and what thing, how things feel. We make our decisions oftentimes on what the Word of God says that we should do. Now, I want to feel like it, and there's many times I will feel like it. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I think that's where much of the feel like comes from. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, things like knowledge and discerning of spirits and wisdom and faith and healing and tongues and interpretation of tongues. But I think, unfortunately, what happens so many times is somebody takes a gift and do something kind of kooky with it, and we get, a, we get all messed up in what that is, and the power of God came for power for service. Jesus said, go, Terry, and when you receive, you'll be endued with power from on high, and you'll be my witnesses. That's what that power is really for. But and that, that's where the I want to comes from. That's what will make you, something's always bubbling inside of you when you see a friend or a coworker, and you see that you know you need to offer forgiveness or you see they're in need of healing or in need of something and makes you want to pray for that person. It's that thing that's always bubbling inside of you. A story's told. I heard this, and it's got to be this particular person there's a neurologist that attends First Assembly of God over in Raleigh. He happens to be the one who worked on my dad's neck. My dad had his neck operated on some time back, and they had to work on it back here, but they cut here and go through. It's a pretty very invasive surgery. And this particular neurologist that did this, his name is Dr. Haglin, and he's worked on some other officers' necks in the, in the police department because they were familiar with him. And he did the same thing with them that he did with my dad, so he offered to pray with them. But the way he became to know the Lord was... His wife was attending that church. And one day, he, she, I guess she asked him enough, and he finally came. And he's standing there, and he still don't know about any of this stuff. And apparently, God spoke through someone. A tongue message came through. Interpretation came through. And he knew at that moment, God was speaking to him. And he was saved that day. And today, he's a neurosurgeon that, that works on people's necks. And I watched him stand there, and, and my dad, and, you know, you're, this is a surgery. It's a big deal. And this man looks at him and says, listen, I'm going to do all I can do. I've got, God's given me a gift in my hands, but we're going to pray and we're going to leave it in his hands. And when you're about to go have your neck cut and everything moves to the side and they're about to work, that matters. That matters a lot. Now, people can say what they want, and I believe in the power of medicine, and I thank God for that. But when I heard this man, I was thankful for that because it matters. But forgiveness, how important is it? Well, let's take just a minute. Let's take a look at God's word and see how important forgiveness is. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, he asked. 
Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the King James Version says 70 times seven. But it's not a matter if it's an issue of 77 times or 490 times. The issue is you always forgive your brother and your sister. And when I read this and I thought about this, I wonder if Peter was looking for a way out. Well, he's looking for a way out. Had something happened in Peter's life? Is that why he went to Jesus and said, do I have to give him seven times? Because he already had, had he already done seven maybe. And this was number eight. He's going, aha, I'm released. I ain't going to forgive him no more. I'm done with it. Is that, is that what was happening? I don't know. But Jesus answered his question on how important it was. Do you want your sins forgiven? I want my sins forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. But I want to know I still have standing to stand before the Lord on the day that I need to repent of other things and know my sins will be forgiven. I know there's a new little thing running through that you don't ever have to forgive, repent of your sins anymore because once you ask forgiveness, all you can do whatever you want and all future sins. No, no. I believe in the spirit of forgiveness. I believe there's going to be times we're just going to blow it and I'll share something in my life with you shortly where I need to spend some time before the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I just, I just, I just blew that. I just blew that. And I want to know he's ready to forgive me. And he is. But this is what he says first. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then are you working in the church? Are you giving, man? Are you teaching? Are you doing all these good things? But do you have something against your brother and your sister? You might be spinning your wheels. You might just be spinning your wheels. Listen to Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and give your gift. Every time I hear this story, it's interesting. Pastor didn't know this. I think about there's a young lady that uh, I met on our trip to Nicaragua. I had a chance to go with Pastor to, to Nicaragua and visit some of these churches. And the one we went to, we went to a little village called Tazbaponi. And I met some friends there that I, I still consider friends. And it's interesting. I, I want to put a plug in here for your parents, grandparents maybe if you're in a position. If you're in any position to do so, send your children to it. And if you can go, go. But certainly send your children on a mission trip. Send, send them, get, get them out of this country. It does two things for them. It shows them what God's doing around the world. I think we think he's just working in our little church, our little community, our little state, our little nation. God's working around the world. And you get a chance to see how blessed we are here. This is a blessed nation. And when you get outside of here, when Hayden come back from Haiti, and the stories he came back with, and when Colin came back from Peru, it's different. And you see that it's different. So, so set in your mind, I'm going to try. There's so many things, so many places that you could send someone to your children, and I think it will have a spiritual impact on them. But I had a chance to go to Nicaragua with a pastor, and that's, that's a story. I, I still remember a lot about that from that little Nicaraguan plane I had to fly in. I ain't never prayed so much in all my life in that airplane. I was scared to death. I just got to tell this. I didn't have this on my, on my story, but it was a little prop plane. I've never seen the runway on approach. I've never seen a runway on approach. And if you've ridden in big jets, you've, has anybody ever here seen, seen a runway on approach? Okay, most of you haven't, and I hadn't either. But I was in that little prop plane. I was sitting right behind the pilot, past sitting beside me. And he comes down, and that runway looks like it's about that long. And, and, and he's coming down, and it's, now it looks only about that long. And I can see the end of it. 
And I was, I'm not kidding, I was that close to grabbing the pilot and saying, pull up, we ain't going to make it. But just as that plane dropped down, I could see how long that runway was. And I'm not joking, I was scared to death. Because I've never seen an approach. Somebody should have warned me, pastor should have warned me, but he didn't. Gosh, I was scared. But, but I met a young lady there, I met a lot of people there. But I met a young lady named Isleth. Anytime I hear that story about your gift and your offering, I remember this story. See, that, that area, that place is not like us, folks. And what Pastor just said, most of their homes over there in this little village, it's no infrastructure. There was no running water. There's no reliable power. Um, and most of the houses over there, they look like my storage shed. I mean, we don't know what poor is in this country. They, they did. They look like my storage shed. But the pastor, he actually had a cinder block house. And to take a shower, there was a shower room. And, and a picture's worth a thousand words. So I want to kind of show what, what, how we had to take, take a bath here. And, um, okay, that, that, that's the shower room because there's no running water. And what you had to do, you had to walk in, and that big tub that sat on the stool had a bowl floating in it, and those other buckets were full. And, you could, and so what you had to do was take a little bowl and pour it on your head and, and shower. And, and there was a, that little white thing on the floor is a drain, and just a PV, piece of PVC pipe went outside. There's no EPA in um, Tasba Pony, Nicaragua, by the way, because the water just flows out on the ground, and there's an outhouse. And Well, I'm sitting outside in the living room waiting to, to take my shower. And, and as I, I get up and go to the shower room, somebody cuts in front of me. So I sit back down and wait a you know. So I, they come out, I get back up. Somebody else cuts in front of me. I'm starting to get a little irritated at this point. I sit back down and wait a minute. And then I start to get, and here comes Ithla. She cuts in front of me. I thought, doggone it. So I sit there patiently, and I wait, and she comes out. And I'm like, I'm not going to let. So I, I scurry, man. I'm, nobody's gonna, else going to beat me in there. So I go into that little room. I get undressed, and I get my stuff, and I walk over there, and the bowl is empty. <laughs> there ain't a stitch of water in there. So I got to get dressed back up. And ain't no spigot. You go out to the well, you draw water, and you dump. And so I started picking at Isleth about it. I said, don't follow Isleth in behind the shower room because she's going to use all the water and not bother to tell you. She's not going to say, lady, you need to go get some water. She's going to let you go in there and start, you know, get undressed. And so I start picking at her, and it, it really is a joke. But the reason I remember this is I remember one night I said something along those lines again, and she said, in that thick Nicaraguan accent, she said, now, Brother Larry, you want to get back over to the United States? And you'll go to the altar, and you're going to remember you got something against your brother, sister Iceland. You'll have to come all the way back over to Nicaragua and ask that I forgive you. She said that in jest, and it was fun, but it was true. It's true. We can't hold grudges and bitterness against our brothers and our sisters. Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives you. One translation says it like this, make allowances for each other's faults. I don't know that we do that very well, even in the church. I think we can be very critical of each other. I think too many times I had a chance to listen to a pastor on a talk show, a Christian talk show recently. He was only identified as Pastor X because he wanted to be able to speak frankly about how a pastor and leaders in church feel sometimes. And he talked a little bit about it. He pastors a church in North Carolina, about two or 300 people. And he talked about how hard the, the enormous expectation and how, how he, they, and, and maybe it's not true, church, but how 
leaders and we as Christians and certainly the pastors feel like that somebody is always looking for a fault so they can tear them down. But that's not what the Bible says to do. It says to make allowances for each other's faults. And that's hard sometimes. If you've been here in this church for a while, many of you have heard this before, but it is so true, so I want to say it again because this is a good test. How do we know if we've forgiven someone? We're commanded to do it. We have to do it. How do we know if we give? The pastor gives two t- a two-pronged test, and it is very true. Number one, don't ever bring it up again. You don't bring it up anymore. Pastor, I heard somebody add something to this recently. They said this. You don't bring it up to the person who, who wronged you, and you don't bring it up to anybody else. You just don't talk about it anymore. You, don't, you may not bring it up to your, maybe it's your wife or maybe it's someone that hurt you. You don't bring it up to them, but you also don't sit around your buddies and say, you know what so-and-so did to me? You just don't bring it up anymore. Some say forgive and forget. You can't forget. That's impossible. But you cannot, you cannot bring it up anymore. And you also don't get mad when you think about it. You know, and sometimes that might take some time. That might take some time. I want you to hear this statement. I want you to remember this statement if you don't remember anything else. I would rather get it right than be right. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, 3, two, three through 4, said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. I, church, and I'm not talking about core principles. I'm not talking about the core work principles of the Bible. So let's just take that off the table. I'm talking about things that really don't matter that much. I'm not going to lose a relationship because I have to be right. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I had a chance to hear the superintendent of um, the Assemblies of God speak also a few years ago. And it, he had been a district superintendent before he was the main superintendent. And one of their things they have to do is mediate conflict in churches. If they have a dispute between the board and the pastor and all, and they can't seem to they have to go out and mediate that. And some of the silly things that he hears people fuss and fight over was unbelievable. You know, the color of the carpet, he said. You know, remodeling the color of the carpet. And I, I always remember him saying this. People are dying and going to hell, and people are arguing over the color of the carpet. Does it matter that much? Does it matter that much the type of music that we do? Does it matter that much what time? Does all these things matter? Or am I going to lose a relationship over it? And people have. There have been people walk out of this church. There's been people walk out of other churches over the silliest things. I would rather get my relationships right than be right on things that don't matter. I'm willing to compromise my some things that are not core to my value system to keep my relationship strong. I had someone send me an email a couple years ago, and this was in a family dynamic, and I don't want to get too specific, and it burnt me up. And I want you to know I was right about this thing. I know I was. And as a matter of fact, I bounced off Tammy to be sure I was right. And usually I'm the one who's having to calm her down, saying, no, we're not going to do that. Just let it go. Let it go. Uh, really. And she'll, be, she'll tell you that's the truth. But in this particular time, I had to compose my response. And that's the problem with, with Facebook. And the, we, sometimes we let our fingers to the talk and hit the send button before our brains are loaded. And as God's people, we don't need to do that. Because once it's out there, you can't get it back. And in, now in, in, in Facebook and email, now it's out there for everybody to see your attitude. And it, and it may not be your heart, but you just let your emotion do something that's going to damage you. It's going to damage your relationship. But I was ready to hit that send button. I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. 
And I'm glad I didn't because it would have damaged that family dynamic. And it's an important family dynamic. And, and I still think what this person wrote to me was very wrong. But I was rather to get it right than be right. <clears throat> but here's one thing. I think that sometimes as God's people and as Christians, we think, okay, if someone hurts us so badly, and people can hurt us badly, and the closer those relationships are sometimes, the deeper the wound, that if they hurt us, that we're not in within God's word and will, if, if, every, if, if we don't go exactly back exactly like it was before, well, that may not happen. You can forgive someone. You cannot get angry when you, about it anymore. You may not bring it up anymore, but it may forever change a dynamic of a relationship. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you how, how, one thing that comes to mind on that. You often hear sometimes in marital infidelity situations where you have a couple couples and they're very good friends. And then all of a sudden, two of them become more than friends. Now, there can be forgiveness in that. And the relationship may last, but that friendship has probably changed forever. And so don't think, because someone has so wounded you, and I think sometimes in church, we have those unreasonable expectations of other people. We can so wound someone, ask their forgiveness, and then if, if they don't act exactly like they did before, well, they're, not, they're just not, they're not right. And that is very unfair. So we have to think about that and the actions and the things that we do and the position and the relationship we have with this person and what we're about to do. It's hard. I want to tell you my personal story, my personal... Listen, I said before when I, spoke, when, I was, when I was before you before, if this doesn't speak to me, it certainly won't speak to you. And I'll tell you, I have struggled and struggled and struggled in this area in the last 18 months. Very much so. Most of you see what's going on in the nation, what's going on in the world as it relates to my profession. And as early as Friday night, multiple times throughout the last 18 years, I've had to stand somewhere and watch people walk by with signs that say I'm a murderer and I'm a liar and call me all kinds of names. And, and you feel this spirit of anger and a spirit of hatred. And I stand there and I look at the officers and I hear that, church. And things are welling up inside of me. I've been in meetings where things are welling up inside of me. And thank God I have that spirit in me that reminds me of two things. Take every thought captive. I have to take these thoughts and say, these, these thoughts are not right. And I have to hold my thoughts of anger back. You hate me, I hate you. I'm going to get some revenge. My day's coming. There's no room for it in God's Word. I wish there was sometime. But there's not. And I struggle with that thing. But then, I read Luke 6, 27 through 36. And I thought about this, and I prayed over this when I read this. And I will tell you, church, I have missed this multiple times. And I've had to ask for God's forgiveness. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do as to others as you would have them do unto you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, 
And this is the hardest part for me, church, this next sentence. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And I say, God, why? Why are you? There's been many times I've asked that question. My spirit has been more like that of, of, of James and John. And, and when I say that, there was a, in, 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 in the book of Luke, in the ninth chapter, Jesus is going through Samaria. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And if you were here last week, you heard a pastor talk about how the Samaritans did not like the Jews. But he's going through, and the Samaritans know that Jesus and his disciples, he knows, he, they know they're on the way to Jerusalem, so they don't receive them. They're probably talking junk about them. You know what James and John did? They looked at Jesus and said, do you want us to call down the fire? Let's call down the fire on them. That's what he said. And the Bible said Jesus rebuked them. There's been times I've been standing there saying, God, call down the fire. Call it down. And he rebukes me. Because he loves them. And he, and, he, and he commands. And you know, I'm convinced that part of what's going on in our world today is everybody is angry. Everybody. It just... It, it seems like the Republicans are angry at the Democrats. The races are angry at each other. Those who have are angry at the have-nots and vice versa. And you see all this stuff in the media. And you see it back and forth on Facebook and social media. And, you know, I'm always, I will always make con- uh, reference to social media. It's here to stay. And I think it's God's people. We can do one through that. We can ignore it and pretend it's not here. Or we can get involved in it and give the biblical perspective on some of this. But if you can't, if you can't control what you're going to say on there, then don't be on it. Don't be on it. Because you'll see things that are going to make you mad. They're going to make you angry. Take a breath. There's a 10, you know, they say 10 second. Count to 10. Don't, don't let your fingers do the walking until your brains are loaded. Because it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your witness. And it's going to hurt the whole kingdom. But people are angry. And there's no peace in their hearts. And I'm convinced that that's part of what's going on. And, and I've had to struggle with this. Friday night I came home. I mean, well, it was 2.30 in the morning Saturday. Tammy was asleep, but the next day, and it's been sometimes I've come home and she's still up, and she gets to hear me, blah, let it all out. But then what happens is it's either close to a midweek service, and I get to come and hear Brother Dan. Brother Dan, you, you said one of the Psalms, and the Psalms you told on David this week, it said, restoring me a right spirit. That's what David's prayer was. I've had to do that many, many times in this. I had to say, God, restoring me a right spirit because my spirit is not right right now. We have to recognize it. There's a midweek service. I get to come hear God's word and spend some time in the altar. That's why church is important. Or there's a Sunday morning service and the worship is like it was this morning. It's good every morning. And that stuff just kind of seems to go away. Or it's not that and I've got my bonus room and I go up and I get my phone out and I get my Pandora and I turn on my Pandora and I have my Bluetooth in there and I put it on a praise and worship. And I remember this. And I remember Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I quit worrying about it. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, one translation says, don't worry about anything. But in everything, including when people are saying terrible things about you, by prayer and petition, up there before God, God, help me. With thanksgiving, God, thank you for what you've done for me and all the good things I do have. Present your request to God. God, help me not to have this spirit in me. And then this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Nobody, them, them protesters don't understand it. Most people in the church, outside don't understand it. I'm not sure a lot of people in the church understand it, but I understand it. It begins to guard my heart in Christ Jesus. 
and my attitude changes. But you have to have that relationship. You have to have that relationship. So what happened between Paul and Barnabas and Mark? I told you I would tell you how that story ended. Paul was martyred for his faith. His head was cut off. Before that happened, he wrote to Timothy because he knew Timothy would take his ministry over. And in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul has given his final remarks to, to some people who have helped him in, in, on, on his ministry. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul said this. He said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So here is the man that Paul was willing to split over. He's willing to just stand his ground and say, you go this way, I'll go that way. This man's not coming with me. And one of the last things he does before he's killed for his faith is says, bring Mark because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I, I think somewhere along the line, they didn't have cell phones back then and text and all this stuff. I imagine about the time those men split, they said, you know, I blew it. I shouldn't have been so hard. And Paul might have said, I shouldn't have been so hard on Mark. And Barnabas probably said, you know, maybe he's right. And they went out and did their thing. But they still loved God. They still loved each other. And before Paul was killed, he made this thing right. I think it was made right. Folks, our very faith is founded on forgiveness. Our very faith is founded on the fact that the King of Kings, the very Son of God, stepped out of heaven came down here, loved people, loved the unlovable. And because of that, because of who he said he was, the Jewish, the ruling class of that day took him. They beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and they nailed him to a cross. And the whole time that was happening, with all sincerity that I don't understand, in my failed fleshly body, I don't understand, in all sincerity, he said this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness. And so if you're here today, Pastor has challenged us. I'm closing. I'm going to ask Matt and his team if they'll come on up. Who do you need to forgive? As I have talked about this today, as I have gone through things today, has God put somebody in your heart? Has God laid somebody on your mind that you need to make right? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker? Is there someone? that you need to offer forgiveness to. You know, I said in, um, in Matthew, it said, if, if, someone, if your brother has something against you, well, if we're not careful, we'll say, well, if he's got something against me, that's his problem, not mine. But the translation in that is more of, if you've done something to give something against your brother, forgive him. Go to him. And if you've done something to someone, or if they've done something to you, ask him for forgiveness. Now, you can't make them give it to you, and you can't make them receive it, but you can ask for it, and, and, it, and it will be hard. It will be hard.